For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Tennessee. I do realize the way I did the call last week was a bit asinine, so I apologize on that end. But now my my thing for you this week is, what are some of your favorite zombie resurrection sequences in movies? Like mass zombie grave risings or just a general rising of the zombies? Like one of my favorites is children shouldn't play with dead things. I think that is an amazing grave rising sequence. Thanks. Thanks, Max. I I had to scratch I had to scratch my brain a little bit for this answer. I'm not a massive zombie movie yeah. guy. And if I do watch zombie movies, honestly, I don't think of those moments very much. So there's really only one I'm gonna say one movie that I can think of off the top of my head, and it's the remake of Dawn of the Dead. And the zombie resurrection of the husband and the zombie resurrection of the old woman, I think, are like who they had to wheel in with a wheelbarrow into the mall. Oh, yeah. I think those are the two where you kind of know, you don't necessarily know that the husband's going to happen because all of a sudden he just like, <laughs> he just freaks out and comes at her. But the old woman just sits up and like that kind of like falls off her face and. I think that those are probably the ones that I I remember really being like, ooh. Otherwise, I'm I think I'm just waiting for zombie stuff to happen. Uh, what do you think, Megan? Uh, I think that I wish Zena was around to answer this question because she's our resident uh, zombie gal. I know. Sorry, everyone. No Zena this week, but we didn't want to put off recording another week. So yeah. it's, you're, you're stuck with just me and Megan. I know. Womp womp. Wah, wah. And uh, my producer, Pacific, is currently on vacation. So if the audio doesn't sound quite as good as it sounded lately, that's because I'm responsible for it. So, You're doing yeah, good. So You're apologize. doing good. Yeah. Zena will we'll tell we'll tell her right now she has to talk zombies when she comes. Yeah, back. she's she's the zombie gal. She's probably gonna have a whole crazy wow. amount of answers for this one. Um I just went with Return of the Living Dead one in part three because hmm. Between Tarman and like the gases and stuff, I feel like you get uh, a whole lot of different, um, like it's kind of change of pace. It's not like Night of the Living Dead crawling out of the grave, which is cool, but I, yeah. I kind of like that they went all goopy, slimy. Yeah, Tarman is, well, plus Tarman is just, he's just meme worthy now. Oh, I think yeah. I've seen him as a meme like plenty of times right now to the point where people are even like, what is that movie even like? What's that even from? <laughs> oh. It's Tarman. Yeah. It's yeah. Tarman. That's okay. C- come with us. We'll show you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Call two. 
Hi, this is Maisie from Athens, Georgia. I recently watched the found footage phenomenon documentary on Shudder and just totally fell in love with it because, like John, I am obsessed with found footage horror movies. So I wanted to ask you guys, what are some of your favorite horror documentaries or just documentaries about weird, creepy stuff? Um, Let me know. I'd love to hear it. Bye. Thanks, Macy. I... I have some interesting thoughts on this particular documentary that you mentioned, which we don't necessarily need to talk about because that's not really the question in the first place. Um, maybe I'll talk. Maybe I'll talk about it when I talk about the things that I watched last week. Yeah, just briefly. I, I'm very curious. Yeah, uh, but the one one of my favorite ones is Room Two Three Seven. I try to stick like horror related. Okay. So Room Two Three Seven. Um, Nightmare in Red, White, and Blue is a really good one to like talking about horror in like American cinema and, uh, the Crystal Lake memoirs, memories, memories. Yeah. And which is like six hours long yeah. where they literally but cover so every good. single, it's so good. And it just, it flies by you put that on and like, it's one of those moments where you're like, oh yeah, we're just cruising through. Like you kind of just remember like, okay, we're up to four, yeah. five, six. Yeah. Wait, how many of these were there? Oh yeah. <laughs> Eleven. The Never Sleep Again, same thing. Yeah, Never Sleep Again. Yeah. Oh, Never Sleep Again. That's the other one that was really good. Yeah. Um, with uh, the Friday the Third or with the Nightmare on Elm Streets. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, I kind of went a little outside the box because you know if you're watching found footage phenomenon on Shutter, I'm also assuming that you probably have seen horror noir and you probably have seen that, you know, some of the big ones, like you just mentioned, like the, which it, it or cursed films. Yeah. Yep. So I went a little bit different. I went, okay. Best worst movie. This is a, Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's, if you don't know, it's about the uh, troll Two, the best worst movie. And the thing that I love about, I mean, you're just going to have to watch it to see why I love this movie. Um, but it's directed by Michael Paul Stevenson, who played the kid Joshua in Troll 2. So oh, he grew right. up and he did a documentary. And he's also done a few other documentaries that are pretty fun. Um, like the the Murder Hornets. Well, that was a thing. Attack of the Murder Hornets. He, yep. he did that documentary. Um, Haunters, Art of the Scare, and the American Scream. I figure if you're a horror fan, you probably would love these really good documentaries about home haunts. And Art of, Haunters goes above, you know, beyond the home haunt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're both very fascinating. American Scream is definitely more heartfelt. Um Cropsy is one I kind of figured you might want. To... Oh, Cropsy is a good one. Yeah, yeah, more if you like into urban legends. Um, Which I think is on Prime right now. Prime or, or it's not IMDb TV anymore. It's called like Free Zone or something on my TV. Yeah, that's that's uh, like that's a, a, good one. a spooky, scary. Like if you want a documentary that's actually kind of creepy, that's it. And then for something that's like way adjacent, uh, but I really liked and found fascinating, Stuffed about the world of taxidermy and and how you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's really good. I mean, because there's like traditional taxidermy and then they talk about kind of like this post punk taxidermy where you have the stuff that's like the dyed pink, you know, squirrel that's got two tails or something like that. It's it's super fascinating. I really liked it. I, you know, if you're looking for something way on the peripheral, then maybe you'll like it, too. See, now we're talking about it. Now I feel like there's so many more. Yeah. I mean, like when you I go can't... into documentary, there's so much overlap and potential of like, you know, adjoining interests. Wasn't, 
uh, what's it called? American movie or American film or something? This, yeah, it was about like the filming of a horror movie, but it's just terrible. Yeah, it's like the. I think it is. It's what is it? It's American movie. I think it is. I think the, it's American movie. Yeah, I yeah. think you're right. Yeah. See. See. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. And honestly, like, I kind of feel like if you want to email us and follow up, I would be more than happy to dig into it. Because now I'm kind of like, oh, I want to go see that again. <laughs> Beware the Slender Man. Yeah. Beware the Slender Man is that one. I, I was thinking about that when you were talking. I'm like, just I it's a little more difficult for me because it's also based on true events. But which, yeah. You know, Slender, which obviously is true crime, et cetera. Right. And I think that my feeling about it is because Slender Man came out kind of in the in on the heels of this. Right. Exactly. That's like, oh, that was, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't agree with that timing. Right. Which is kind of why I threw it out there because. Yeah. It's, it's kind of great to have context for certain movie releases, even kind of the flops. Yeah. And you watch this, yeah. and it's tied to creepypasta, which is kind of what? What is a good? I mean, I want to say it's on the rise. It's been there, but I feel like it's on an increased incline in popularity. So you know, Slender Man is usually at the forefront of what everybody thinks of as creepypasta. So you have this true co- crime kind of context for that that puts things in a whole different light. Yeah, stuff like that, like Momo, I think yeah. was that, that weird one. My daughter literally just came into my bathroom and she goes, I'm Momo. And she kind of like <laughs> held her upper lip down. And I was like, nope, you nope. are a little too close. And she's like, what is that? I'm like, it's nothing. Don't. It's nothing. Oh, <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. We're all fine. Everybody's fine. You're going to die Regardless in seven days. Regardless of what a Kardashian says, you're fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. See, now, now I'm going to go watch some horror documentaries after there, this. There you go. <laughs> All right. Speaking of things that you really need to watch. Listen. Speaking of poor segues, how about that? <laughs> Welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Podcast, everyone. The podcast where we discuss all the disgusting things we love in the horror world. And to help us discuss the disgusting, you know her as lead movie critic for Bloody Disgusting, writer and horror movie fanatic Megan Navarro. Hey, Megan. Hello. And I'm John. Again, no Zena. No Zena. You'll just have to make do with us this week. I know. If you're listening to this on a Wednesday when the episode drops, we hope that your week's been, I guess your last couple of weeks, have been filled with all the best kinds of horror. And if not, we're going to do a quick round the table for the movies, books, games, or anything else in horror that are making the two of us smile right now. Maybe there'll be things that'll make you smile too. So Megan, what's been filling your heart this week? Well, first of all, I'm going to channel Xena. Uh, she's here with us in spirit because I did put out a call on Twitter because Monster Pal- Monster Palooza was uh, over this past weekend, which is mm. L.A. I have never been, but they were having a Demon Knight panel with like Ernest Dickerson, Todd Masters, Billy Zane. Um, and I was like, somebody, I can't be there. Let me live vicariously through you. Do you know who <laughs> that person was that let me live vicariously through them? It was Xena. Zena's in, yeah, she was, she's in LA or maybe she's flying back. I don't know. That's why she's not here today, but she, she was there. She's, she posted pictures of her with uh, Ernest Dickerson, but she did text me pictures from this panel and I'm like, you're my hero. Yeah. I saw her picture with Ernest Dickerson and I was like, she's so happy right now. I know I would be too. Uh, yeah. So at least I could live vicariously through her. Uh, so if she's not going to be here to entertain you guys and you have to deal with us, at least know that, you know, it's for a good cause. Um, but I watched Crimes of the Future. Uh, 
David Cronenberg's new movie that is currently in theaters now. And uh, plot is uh, humans adapt to a synthetic environment. It's like in this nondescript future where it's like we've just pretty much destroyed everything and we have to adapt to uh, a new synthetic environment with new transformations and mutations. Um, humans, the, the human body can no longer feel pain. Um, and then you've got this performance artist, Saul Tensor, whose body kind of uh, manifests and produces these strange superfluous organs. And so they make an art out of it. Um, him and his partner, Caprice, they stage these public surgical removals in mm -hmm. very Cronenberg and like type. As of, one would do. As one would do. Yeah. And, you know, this this art catches the attention of a lot of people who would like to um, use that to apply to the next stage of human evolution. It is everything that I just said sounds very Cronenberg and it mm -hmm. is very Cronenberg. However, it's very kind of muted Cronenberg. Uh, the last mm -hmm. real body horror movie that he did was existence, which yeah. was 1999. So he's done a whole lot of other stuff that outside of the kind of horror body horror sci-fi realm since then. Um, so this this to me is, um, I liked it. Um, I didn't love it as much as I love a lot of his older works, but I feel like that this is kind of hard to, to compare it because it's like a filmmaker reflecting on his body of work. It's kind of an extension, mm. like a conversation uh, with, with his previous work. And so... It's just a lot more reflective, a lot of dry humor that if you aren't really pick, if you don't pick up on dry humor, you might not even be aware that it's intentionally funny. Um, but yeah, it's it's just very interesting. I just don't think that most people like mainstream audiences that have no idea what his stuff is, they're going to be like, what the French toast is up with this. Uh, That's largely what I've been seeing. Our movie reviews kind of slamming it. And having not seen it, I don't know. Like I, although it did spur me to watch Videodrome again. I think it's on Tubi right now. I'm not going to talk about yeah. it. I feel like I've talked about it recently, but um, yeah, I'm I'm curious. And again, not as a body horror guy, and this sounds fairly body horror. It's it it is and it isn't though. Like there is body horror moments, and there are a couple of weird. Not a couple. There's a lot of weird stuff. Um, <laughs> but I also feel like it's if you could handle Videodrome. I yeah. feel like you could handle this, you know, yeah. it's not, there's almost like a thoughtful reflection on, you know, more meta metaphorically speaking type horror. Sure. Uh, it's toned down. It, it, I think the really the biggest problem for people isn't necessarily the body horror. It's that this narrative is not very conventional. I feel like mm. a lot of narratives have like a typical structure and flow and there's like a rise and a, you know, climax and res resolution to conflict that wraps it all up, you know, kind of like a beginning, middle, end type scenario. And this one doesn't yeah. quite have it in the traditional sense. It just is kind of like an immersive drift. You're just coasting through this yeah. weird world. And I think that's what I heard that it was someone it was it, I don't know if it was disjointed or rudderless or something. Yeah. Where someone clearly did not like the flow oh, of yeah. the movie itself. Yeah, it is yeah. a weird flow. Um it definitely just kind of drifts off into the distance. So, if, you know, I think that's going to be the bigger hang up than the body horror. But if you are really into David Cronenberg like I am, then I do think you'll at least enjoy it. So you never know. Yeah. 
Nice. And then completely switching gears um, because I am still very obsessed with the Evil Dead video game. It has uh, spawned, it's, it's basically inspired me to go back and revisit the Ash vs. Evil Dead TV series uh, that Yay. premiered in 2015. Yeah, it's all, all three seasons are on Netflix. I own them, but it's just so easy to pop on Netflix um, and just binge. So the Ash vs. Evil Dead series, Ash has spent the last 30 years avoiding responsibility, maturity, and the terrors of the <laughs> Evil Dead until a deadite plague threatens to destroy all of mankind and he becomes mankind's only cope. Uh, literally, he got high with somebody on a date and read from the book, and thus yeah. the show begins. Um, it's amazing. It is so good. I I love this show. I'm kind of bummed that it took me so long to revisit because I watched this while it was on air, you know. Uh. So I watched it real time. So it's been a few years and just cracking up and having a good time all over again. And also picking out things from the show that I'm like, yep, that's that's in the video game. So, oh. yeah. The one I remember, is it in season two when they go back to the cabin? It's at the end of one. Was it at the end of one? Yeah. Oh, that's right, because season two was like at that school, right? Uh, um, that I feel like... See, now I have to go back and watch it. Yeah, <laughs> you do. And it's really short. It's like three seasons, and I feel it, like they're not very many episodes per season, and they're like... It's yeah. literally like a sitcom, 30 minutes an episode. But yeah. I, I just remember the first time... I was watching it and really liking it. Like, I liked what they did with Ash, that he's just he's so a funny. loser who just wants to get high and get laid. And go to Jacksonville, Florida. That's his destination. That's it. Yeah. That's his goal. And he does get there for a little bit. Yay. Yeah. But... When they go back in the cabin, he's like, that's where the book was on that table. Or was it in the cellar? I can't remember. <laughs> Such a, just a glorious nod to part one and two. There's so like, many yes, callbacks. thank you. Yeah. But when he, when he gets high and starts whipping donuts, he like smokes meth or something and just starts <laughs> smoking donuts in his car. And they're like, yeah, I found some meth. <laughs> It's just like, oh, okay, this is where we're going with that. It goes, huh? yes. Or in season, it's early season two where he literally, there's a possessed, like, colon that he gets yeah. into a fight with. I mean, yeah. there's, there's every nonsense. And he's such a good sport about this stuff. Oh, God. It's it's beautiful. Like, if if that was the end of Bruce Campbell's career, I would have called it the most magnificent bookend ever. Not that I would have wanted it to be the end. I am more than happy to see him continue to make things. Yeah. But what an amazing, if there, if he had no other involvement in other evil deads after that, which he's evil, a producer. The evil dead was 2013. But I mean, like as like an actual oh. actor within, I mean, within the canon. He, he, yeah. That's yeah. such a wonderful bookend, save for the ending of the evil dead. But oh, he yeah, voiced so... his character in the video game, which and rightly so. Yeah, like it would be like just don't don't not have Bruce Campbell involved. Is all I'm yeah. saying. It's ridiculous. That's fair, but yeah, so, good show. I'm sad it didn't go longer, but I'll take what uh, I have. Yeah, well, you know, if people aren't watching it enough, it just is what it is. People, <laughs> and maybe if we complain enough, sometimes that works. Yeah, I don't think it's gonna work for this. I don't think it's going to work either. Uh, okay, so I I watched a lot. I, I did a lot. I'm going to I'm going to gloss over some stuff cuz okay. I kind of forgot that I did a lot of stuff <laughs> horror related. Uh, I'm going to start with Zena's pick for me. Okay. Which was 2019's The Girl on the Third Floor available on Netflix. 
Don Cook tries to renovate a rundown mansion with a sordid history for his growing family, only to learn that the house has other plans. Not as body horror as I thought it was going to be. It's goopy. The, it's the goop, yeah. There's, yeah, the there's goop a lot doesn't of bother goop. me. There's a lot of goop to the point where it's um, it's just comical at certain points. Uh, it didn't. So it stars CM Punk, whose real name I forget. Uh, I was never I I was a wrestling fan during like the the Attitude Era, mm-hmm. and I kind of tapered off after that. So I never really watched CM Punk. I just know him more from his brief foray into mixed martial arts. Oh, and I thought he was fine. You know, like if you the way I think about it is like what was like the Rock's first acting crew is a Scorpion King. Oh, you know, yeah. like if you watch that, you're like, all right, he's fine. <laughs> it is what it is. And I and I really enjoy watching The Rock now. Like, I think he's figured out like acting a lot better. Like, and I think he's like had some really great performances, too. I think he's great and too cool. The the Get Shorty sequel. Uh. Um, But so CM Punk, he's fine. It it feels like a lower budget movie, like as far as like the 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 production quality, cinematography, etc. Mm-hmm. And it's fine. He's not a likable character, no, by any stretch of the imagination. No. And he's not supposed to be. I don't think you're supposed to root for him. I think he's supposed to be, uh, the house's toy, <laughs> I guess, or test, whatever it is. It was okay. There were definitely, I. I wasn't really sure kind of a false ending. I guess it's not a false ending. It's just more like like act three just shifted pretty hard yeah, to give you some exposition that wasn't really set up. Like I feel like if, if, if parts of act three had occurred in like act two, that would have made more sense if, if more people had witnessed that sort of thing instead of it kind of serving like an exposition dump to explain what's going on. Uh, it was fine. Like, I didn't hate it. it it's only, it's, I don't even think it's an hour and a half. It, it's it's a fast watch. It's It has some interesting ideas. I was just, you know, it was so-so. Like, I'm, I'm not necessarily certain I'm interested in watching it again, but down the road, who knows. So, yeah, if, if you're curious to see former wrestlers turn mixed martial artists turn actors or whatever else there you go. he's doing now check out the girl on the third floor on netflix and then i watched 2013's odd thomas on prime in a california desert town a short order cook with clairvoyant abilities encounters a mysterious man with a link to dark threatening forces so i'm going to speak to this with something i'm reading right now oh so if Odd Thomas, for those of you who are familiar with the book, John Dies at the End, or this book is full of spiders, it's kind of that. It's kind of this mix of horror and comedy and heavier on the, the like the comedy up front, kind of the, uh, the voiceover narration and explanation and kind of humor behind it all. But I feel like it, it loses that and it doesn't really hold that tone to the whole thing. And Anton Yelkin is the star of it. He plays odd Thomas, which is his name, odd Thomas 
in this. And I, I love him. Like I, the, every time I see a new movie with him in it, it's one of those things where obviously it's never a good thing when someone dies as young as he did, yeah. but boy, what he, what potential there was for him, like between like that and green room and even playing Scotty and star Wars or star Trek movies. Um, I think, I think he was the exact right person for the role. I just think that the movie didn't quite know what it was or how to handle it quite the same way. It's an added, I've not read the book that it's Neither based on. So I'm not sure if that was like, because I remember this movie having a whole lot of problems as far as production and getting released. So yeah. I'm wondering if it was like a too many hand chiefs and, or too many cooks in the kitchen situation. And that's why, but he makes it work somehow like it's it's not like i wouldn't say it's a five-star movie by any stretch but he has such charisma and yes. and screen presence that it's okay that it's kind of a totally you know it's it's very comical yeah. in the beginning and then very kind of heavy Dark. by the end and i was not prepared for the third act yeah especially in the wake of the news that we've been dealing with lately mm. Where I got to the end and I was like, this, like, I've stopped watching the news for the last couple of weeks. I've been watching Forged in Fire. I'll just watch people make knives. I don't want to watch what's going on. Yeah. Um, So kind of like trigger warning, kind of literally, there is a mass shooting that takes place at the end. And it's, it's tough. Like even knowing that it's fiction in the wake of things that have been going on, fair warning to people. So you don't wander into that. Uh, but yeah, it's again, like you said, Anton Yelkin, he's so charismatic. He's got such great screen presence. I was more than happy to watch him. Willem Dafoe was really funny. Yes. Like what him and his, him and his wife's like just relationship in it is really funny. Um, but I, I do agree that I almost feel like they did a pass of the movie mm-hmm. Like they did, they edited it, they gave it to executives, whatever, and executives wanted to change it because it almost feels like act two, especially act three was a different editor altogether. Possibly. And the other thing I also wonder when you have book adaptations, because I think that there's an actual series. I don't know how many books Mm. there are in the odd Thomas book series by Dean Koontz, but a lot of times, and I've noticed this, um, when they're trying to do an adaptation of, of something that's like supposed to be a starter they do mm. a little too much, uh-huh. you know, like Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City ambitiously tried to cover the first two games. Uh. And it's like if you had just kind of, you know, I feel like the world building is like they're trying to stuff so much into this one to be like, you want to see it. Come on, let's go. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It, it just honestly it just made me want to go back and watch David Chang's book. I can't remember his real name, but this pen name is David Chang. And it's, uh, so I'm currently reading, um, this book is full of spiders, which he is so good at his comedy horror that he has some just outright, just hilarious scenes, but he has some dark, scary, like his balance of comedy and horror is really unique. Like there are parts where you're reading it, like this is pretty intense, suspenseful, scary. And then something wholly ridiculous will suddenly happen. But it works in the context of like the characters and the and the tone and everything else. So, if you watch Odd Thomas and you feel the same way, and it's that comedy horror balance you don't quite feel, 
it's a very similar concept to John Dies at the End, which uh, Thomas might have come out before John Dies at the End, and then, like, who knows, whatever. I personally prefer it a little bit more. There is a movie adaptation of John Dies at the End, too. They tried to stuff. There's so much in the first in the book, though, to try and turn it into a movie. I thought they did okay mm. with what they did. Mm. Um, good actors. I thought the actors were well cast. But, see, I, there's so much stuff, like, going in my head. <laughs> This week, and I haven't even talked about found footage phenomenon yet. Okay, um, let's do it. So, so yeah, Odd Thomas Prime, <laughs> or John <laughs> dies at the end, and this book is full of spiders. There's several more; those are just the two that I own. Uh, okay, found footage phenomenon. I I really liked seeing all the filmmakers talk about the found footage genre mm-hmm. from found footage movies that I love, like. Blair Witch and uh, Afflicted and like actually see like the thought that's going into from them at least a, a found footage movie it's not just oh this is going to be easier They and they kind of talk about that like it shouldn't just be done because it's quote unquote easier to make a found footage movie because it's probably not going to be very good yeah which is something, you know, you experience because it gets super tropey and like it just feels very rushed and they just it felt like they had a low budget, so put someone behind the camera and we can have them run around. I did think I'm not going to call out this particular movie because it's not necessary. Some people might love it, but there was one movie maker who was talking about his film that I totally did not understand. Having seen his movie, I'm not sure how he said what he said. Like, talking about the likability of characters, which I hope isn't too much of a giveaway. Like, this guy's movie has one of the most unlikable characters in any found footage movie I've ever seen. And talking about the balance of making people, like, making it feel realistic and, but being able to push them far enough so that they don't want to leave and they still want to like support it. Uh, there was some really interesting interviews with uh, the creator of cannibal Holocaust mm. and kind of talking about uh, how that came to be. And it was this really, I, I thought it was a cool story just talking about how cannibal Holocaust paraphrasing pretty heavily. So I apologize if I'm way off pace from other people watch this basically came from the idea of his his child didn't want him watching the news because Vietnam was going on and it was just death on the screen all the time and he kind of stopped and said well why is it that we have like video nasties and stuff and we're told we can't do this stuff when we're making movies and the news is free to be as graphic as possible showing these atrocities from around the world so cannibal holocaust was kind of his response to the news mm. like I am going to push this as far as I possibly can. And for those who have seen Cannibal Holocaust, know that he did. Yeah. And again, another big trigger warning. If you're listening to this and you've never heard of Cannibal Holocaust or seen Cannibal Holocaust or the things in it that are still hard to watch, there's a great deal of tr- of legitimate animal cruelty yeah. that happens yeah. in the movie that's pretty tough. So big warning on that one. And that's brought up too, that a lot of people are like, well, the cannibal Holocaust can very easily be put into a specific box by people viewing now because of the animal cruelty that they see that. And they're like, nope, 
tune out like you you didn't have to go that far you yeah. pushed it way too far etc as opposed to like kind of what they were actually doing and showing how people could devolve mm -hmm. and the characters within the movie pushing it to make news to make a story and what human beings are capable of which <laughs> i don't think he's wrong yeah yeah terrible. so i thought it was an interesting documentary i always like whether i personally agree with the filmmakers it's it's such a ridiculous thing to even say. Like, I don't agree with what that filmmaker said about why he made the movie. Yeah. <laughs> as much as I don't necessarily understand that point of view. Yeah. You know, like, but I like to hear filmmakers be like, oh, and this is, we had to think about this before making it. Like, the inception points and, like, how to make it different or... You know, like Afflicted is very heavily produced because the guy's a filmmaker and he could send home that footage to be produced, yeah. which makes sense. You know, Deborah Logan kind of falls into a gray water with the same sort of thing. I always felt it was kind of overproduced because of the ending. It didn't make sense to me, et cetera, whatever. Um, it was worth watching. I liked, I, I like watching it as a found footage fan. I have a question for you. Um, yeah. Because I, ha I have not seen it, so, you know, kind of... The summary makes it sound like it, maybe it's even the tagline or the subheader or something that's the rise and fall of, you know, the found footage phenomenon. But has really found footage fallen? I feel like it's evolved in such a dramatic like, way more than probably any other subgenre because it's like found footage. But now you have things like screen life and, yeah. you know real-time webcam just a variety that's kind of an offshoot so i'm just curious if it's more if you should go into it expecting an overview of the sub subgenre or if you really should just be looking for it like piecemeal by certain movies and filmmakers uh what i think i took from it was uh the pop culture acceptance okay. of found footage okay so it was the spike and it was the the rise with blair witch but then the the movies that kind of came after it up until Paranormal Activity, eating criticism like, "Oh, you're just copying the Blair Witch," you know, and and like uh, kind of talking like the the um, uh, what's it called the not last radio call the last broadcast, uh, yeah. them saying like, "Oh, you copied Blair Witch," and like actually we made this before Blair Witch. We just didn't have money, so we did it on like VHS, yeah. whatever, all all this stuff. And so I think it's kind of I think. I don't know if rise and fall is an accurate title, maybe ebb and flow. And I would almost call it like the evolution yeah. of phone footage yeah. or phone foot, the history of phone footage, even the rise and fall sounds a little bit more Buzzfeed title to me. Cause I didn't, I didn't interpret it like they were saying that it's fallen. I think it's just interpreted that it's changed and people have to be a little bit, uh, not more sincere when they're making them as much as like more thoughtful maybe because so many have come out and it is a genre that people can do and everyone's got a phone, you know, like people can create these sorts of things. So maybe it's a, maybe just like the wave of found footage. But um, it is a pretty strong overview. I'm guessing. I mean, cause there's yeah, some they, like random titles you've thrown in there that are a little bit deeper cut. I feel yeah, I, I know. I say it like, oh, no, I've seen that like four times. What do you mean? That's yeah, I totally know. You. normal. Um, yeah, they do a really good overview. Okay. I, I think of the, the bigger titles, for sure, the more recognizable and some that might not be as recognizable that are totally worth it because I think they're also important to the history 
of the genre and there's a few in there where i'm like i didn't <laughs> that's not my jam but it might be someone's favorite movie yeah so you know is what it is and found footage is i like that they get a spotlight on it and they can have some thoughtful answers to those questions so yeah okay so before we move on what did we watch and how did we watch it I watched Crimes of the Future in theaters and Ash vs. Evil Dead on Netflix. I watched Odd Thomas on Prime, The Girl on the Third Floor on Netflix, Found a Footage Phenomenon on Shudder, uh, Videodrome on Tubi, I'm reading, This Book is Full of Spiders, and I think I mentioned something else I'm already forgetting. <laughs> uh, okay, so should we do homework for next week, and then I'll just have... I'll, I'll watch one on my own, and then you can assign me one. I, I yeah, if you want homework, I can give you. Yeah, some. let's do let's do that. Otherwise, I'm just gonna. Uh, I'm gonna give you a movie because I remember you mentioning that you have not watched this franchise. Uh -oh. Um, I want you to watch Annabelle Creation. Oh, okay. Here we go. It's, this and this is on Netflix. Isn't uh, it? Netflix. I think it's also on HBO Max. I think so it's take HBO. Your pick. Yeah. All right, here we go. All right. Yeah, all right, yeah. Right, let's right. let's test the waters. I want to know if you'll let's like them on. beyond what you've only seen the one, like the first Conjuring, and that's it. Uh the first, the first, uh the first active part of the third, and then the devil made me do it. There you go. That is the third. Yeah. The devil made me do it. Is the third. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, but I saw like the first act of part two. Oh okay. Okay. I've seen some of it until they kind of get over there, and then I just kind of lost interest. Yeah. Okay. Well. We've assigned homework to, to make you watch at least some of it proper. Perfect. All right, enough about what we've been watching this week. It's time for Megan to bring us up to speed on the news and trending topics in the world of horror. So what's going on, Megan? So uh, I did mention seeing Crimes of the Future in theaters. And ahead of it, during like you know your, your requisite five hours of trailers and commercials there was a teaser for this mysterious little movie that i'd never heard of before um it's by paramount players from writer director parker finn called smile it's just this weird creepy teaser about somebody coming down a hospital hall and she sees a guy in his hospital bed upright with a vacant stare just smiling straight ahead and she backtracks mm. and goes in and she's trying to get his attention and he's not moving. And then like there's some other person that cuts to or she's got a creepy grin. That's it. That's it. Just this crazy. It doesn't tell you anything other than smile. Uh, and it's slated for release on September 30th. And that uh, the teaser also says that a full trailer is coming soon. So um, apparently it started before Top Gun Maverick and it's playing before Christ. So if you're watching oh, like any. Yeah, that. it's so weird. Um, but the plot is uh, said to follow a doctor whose mind begins to turn on her after she witnesses a traumatic event that involves a patient. The film's official Twitter account shared a condensed version of that teaser that's in, on the big screen. Um, but yeah, it's supposed to uh, smile stars Sosie Bacon, Jesse T. Usher, Cal Penn, Rob Morgan, Kyle Golner, and Caitlin Stacy. So it's got an interesting cast. I know nothing about it, which is the precise type of hook that uh, really lures me in. And it's coming just right in time for Halloween season. So interesting. Thought I would share. Um, and then Netflix Geek, Netflix's Geeked Week kicked off this week. Um, and they've just been dropping 
all sorts of, you know, poster reveals, sneak peeks, behind the scenes, clips, teasers, all of that stuff. I will not going to go through all of it because it is insane how much that they've dropped. Um, you obviously go to Bloody Disgusting. There's stuff from, you know, Lock and Key's final season, The Sandman, Resident Evil, uh, Wednesday from, you know, the Wednesday Adams oh, TV yeah. show. So you get a first look of what Jenna Ortega looks like as Wednesday Adams, which is very cool. But I did want to mention um, probably what is one of the more excitable or exciting titles is Mike Flanagan's Midnight Club dropped a teaser for that um so netflix and mike flanagan are doing the midnight club it's an adapt a series adaptation of christopher pike's 1994 novel um and it's, and it's kind of keeping the same vein so you know he did haunting of hill house and uh the haunting of blight manor which were essentially remixes you know it took the core story but he'd remix in other stories by that author you know shirley jackson yep. and um and whatnot. So this one's going to remix Christopher Pike and uh, which is great for teen me because that was what got me into reading as uh, too young. I went from Christopher Pike to Stephen King. Um, but yeah, so Netflix provided a first look at the upcoming series during their geek week. Um, and it kind of introduced the characters that make up the club. And uh, it's basically the plot is at a manor with a, a mysterious history. The eight members of the midnight club meet each meet each night at midnight to tell sinister stories and to look for signs of the supernatural from beyond. So the book that I I did read as a kid, The Midnight Club, is basically these teens are in hospice care. They're dying. And so they're gathering every night and telling each other scary stories. And I think they're like, you know, they're looking for kind of meaning and afterlife hopes and whatnot. Um, so definitely seems like in vain of Mike Flanagan's kind of subject matter that he likes to dig into a lot uh yeah. and he will who knows what he's going to remix into that because there's so much bonkers christopher pike stuff um but yeah so Netflix, so many monologues so, so many, many monologues. monologues so many and you will cry you i cry. mean given the subject matter i feel like that's inevitable right uh, uh -huh. so netflix revealed that the midnight club will premiere in time for halloween uh on netflix mm -hmm. on october 7th and he's um uh, Flanagan's adept is adept. I cannot speak. Words are hard today. Flanagan is adapting Pike's tales alongside Leah Fong, who is behind Once Upon a Time. And Flanagan directed some of the episodes. He's not directing all of them. He's pulling a blind manner. Uh, the full lineup of directors for Midnight Club includes Emmanuel Osei Kufour, who is behind uh, Black Box on Prime. Axel Carolyn, who did uh, she did the episode one of the the black and white episode, The Past of Blind Manor. She's also directed episodes of Creep Show, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, um, Viet Nguyen, Morgan Beggs, Michael Fimignari. So, yeah, it's uh, and then returning players from Flanagan's uh, previous shows because um, the, the cast, there's a whole bunch of cast that I'm not going to list off the names. But I did want to single out Samantha Sloyan, Zach Guilford and Nancy Thompson herself, Heather Langenkamp. They will be in the show. So I thought nice. that was cool. Um, and then if you have arachnophobia, this could be good news or it could be bad news for you. I don't know. Um, a few years ago, James Wan, it was announced that James Wan is producing arachnophobia remake for Amblin. Um, but now they've officially announced the director and that will be uh, happy death day and freaky's uh, Christopher Landon. Uh, Landon is also going to be writing in, in addition to directing the eight legged horror movie. 
Uh, horror comedy arachnophobia centered on a small town terrorized by a colony of deadly South American spiders accidentally brought to the U.S., which is not entirely accurate. They brought one spider and it one bred. Spider. Yeah, it yeah. bred with a domestic spider. And yeah, so uh, Jeff Daniels was the star of the original movie, the 1990 movie. He was the doctor who moved to his family from the big city to what should have been a nice, quaint, small town. Uh, and then spiders attacked. And then John Goodman has got big shoes to fill because he was great as the exterminator. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, no clue beyond that, except they've got a director on lock and we could use more spider horror, I guess. But yeah, that's in the news. Not if you're Xena. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a good thing she's not in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> that's not true. It's never a good thing when Xena's No, no. But, it's, you know. She's no spiders. She's free from spider zone until we talk about the movie improper. But I do think Christopher Landon's got that lighthearted touch that makes it a perfect fit for. I think that'll be a good mix because you can get some fairly dark material in there too. Yeah, and some good scares. You want a you want a blend of horror. I feel like spiders are inherently scary for a lot of people. So. All right, listeners, your turn. Is everyone I've ever met right, and that I need to smile more? Do we need a Flanagan extended universe? Let's hear about it. You can call or text us at 224-475-1040. The number is also in the show notes, or feel free to email speeddisgustingpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, Megan's going to make all our <laughs> lives easier in this sea of horror movie options and clue us in what's appearing soon that we should be watching. So, Megan, what should we be watching? I'm channeling Xena. So, she she is here. <laughs> um, she would do a much better job at this than I would. But Friday the 10th is when all your goody new horror releases are hitting um shutter's gonna drop off season which is very uh what is that movie messiah of evil reminds me of that it's um jocelyn donahue she plays a woman who receives a letter from uh kind of her mother weren't telling her not to come home but her mother's dead so she comes home and she just it's a desolate island that she she goes to and she becomes trapped there and like things are really weird about this town it's almost silent hillish it's great mm-hmm. um the righteous which will be on arrow player a burdened man feels the wrath of a vengeful god after he and his wife are visited by a mysterious stranger it is a black and white horror movie directed by mark o'brien his feature debut and mark o'brien is the terrible husband from ready or not um, the probably big blockbuster item, Jurassic World Dominion, releases in theaters. I don't even think I need to describe what that is. You already know. And then Tuesday the 14th on VOD is Urzuli. A reunion between four friends quickly goes awry when they find themselves face-to-face with Urzuli, the swamp mermaid goddess. I don't, I don't think the plot needs anything else but those three words. Sold. Swamp mermaid goddess. And... Uh, and if you have not seen The Northman, uh, Robert Eggers' latest, it is on Peacock. It hit Peacock as of uh, Friday the 3rd. And then, as always, Bloody Disgusting TV, now available also on Screenbox. Live your life. And that's the Bloody Disgusting podcast for this week, everyone. If you'd like to read more from Megan, you can check out her reviews at bloodydisgusting.com and on Twitter at HauntedMeg. Xena can be found on our own website, realqueenofhorror.com, the YouTube channel of the same name, or at Lovely Xena on Twitter. And you can hear me on my weekly horror narration podcast, Creepy. Don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BeDisgustingPod, or drop us an email at BeDisgustingPodcast at gmail.com. So for this week, I'm John. And I'm Megan. Grab some popcorn, cozy up on the couch, and watch something you love. Just make sure it's something bloody. 
Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.